Welcome to Afterthoughts, where I pursue the realities in Christianity through God's Word and different conversations. It is my confident belief that our views shape the way we live, so having views grounded in reality is super important. At the end of it all, it is my heart's deepest desire that you and myself would be seeking peace and joy in what Christ Jesus has done. Welcome back to the conversation, all you listeners, um, fun listeners out there. It's your brother, Martin Trumbull, back at it again with my good buddies, Jason Pettis. Good morning. Is that okay to say? But we don't know when they're listening to it, so it's good morning from the top of my heart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And Caleb Bulow, man. Uh, good morning from me, too. <laughs> it is a good morning. Um, it's morning, if y'all haven't uh, gathered by now, and... It's actually really nice outside. It is. I was, I'm down in my room. I have a basement room, so I don't really have a good view outside, but I wanted to move upstairs um, into our living room because we have some nice patio doors and like you can just see, and we live on a farm, so um, just a really nice view of the sun rising. Well, it's already rose, but I don't know. The colors are nice, but there's some noisy fans and stuff going on up there, so I can't, um, so I can't do that, but anyway. Yeah, I stepped yeah. outside for a couple of minutes and it was nice. It's kind of coolish out, but the sun's shining and I don't know. It was I wanted to be outside, but we got a rooster yeah. in our backyard. I can't really record outside. Oof. Real talk yesterday when we were rec- I don't know if your mic picked it up, Caleb, but um but you could I could hear the rooster through your through that. Yeah. <laughs> funny. You know that something's going um, down before it crows three times, so <laughs> it crows way more I than think- three times. <laughs> Yeah, at least three times, I was going to say. So, why is wrong wrong? That's an interesting question. I kind of like that question. Yeah. What do you guys think? I'll just kick it off with something simplistic. I typically, I, I mean, I think a lot of times believers get into the idea that, well, it's wrong because God says it, and maybe it's arbitrary, but we just have to do it because of that. And... um I don't know if this is universally true, but generally I try to frame it in terms of, um, uh, let me see here, that wrong is wrong because at some level it's it's destructive and hmm. harmful to yourself or to others. And so then, you know, you kind of go through all of the things that are are wrong for Christians to do, quote unquote. And I try to think those things through and it's like, well, well, why is it wrong? And not from a like a, well, why is that wrong kind of attitude, but more of a, I right. wonder what it is about this that is destructive or Makes unhealthy. it fundamentally wrong or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like that because, well, I, I tend to, I think some people that's hard to think that way because um, there's this one guy I hang out with a little bit um, from the church I'm going to. And, um, my perspective is like, is more similar to that. Like, okay, wrong is wrong for, wrong is wrong for a reason. It's not just this, like God isn't this big cosmic police officer. Some guy said, um, like with a baton waiting to hit you over the head and like, who's just like an authoritarian and just like, you got to do what I say just because I said it. It's more, it's like, no, what's good is really good for you. Like doing the right thing will benefit your life. It's beneficial and doing the wrong thing 
is hurtful, detrimental. I think, Caleb, you did mm-hmm. a, uh, at camp you did something. When I say beneficial, detrimental, I think those are the two words you put it into. Yeah. Um, you talked about the sin, sin, the fall and all that, and that's something you broke it down. Sin as beneficial, or no. <laughs> it was actually it was um, actually knowledge of good and evil, and so I was realizing that good means beneficial and evil means detrimental and, right. uh, and how that operates towards us. And I think as you follow that out a little bit farther, what you find out is the is that that's where moral sin is at is when it's detrimental or damaging to other people or to yourself or to whatever, or, you know, to whatever God has set up. It's that sin is at its root is it's damaging mm-hmm. moral sin. There's other kinds of sin too that, you know, sins of obedience or disobedience that would, that would be a little bit different, but moral sin is uh, at its root is going to be damaging. Right. And it's probably, and it's more than just, well, it's detrimental because it's going to destroy you when you're in hell. Right. Well, <laughs> you know, it, it ruins your personality point. too. It actually damages yeah, you but, as a person. Yeah. I think this, the scripture there is, um, is this first Peter, second Peter, I'm in here. First Peter 2.11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And uh, I think that flies, jives uh, pretty well with what mm-hmm. Caleb said, yep. that it's damaging your personality. If something is waging war against your soul, you know, a part of you that's, that's your innermost part uh, and something is setting up a, a siege works against your soul and battering on it and battering on it and damaging it and um, uh, distorting it into something that uh, is, is not what, it's not going to be as full of life and uh, as, as good and as where, I would say was as where God wants us to be, but it's not just where God wants us to be. It's also where, where you would want to be if you were thinking properly on the matter. Right. And, I remember and you I said think, something like that in the previous episode. That was good. Yeah, to build on what Jason said, that the, you know, he, the word soul, I think a, a, syn- a synonymous word that we might use is our, our own personality or who we are as people. And you can watch, I mean, you can observe around you and see little kids and they're so, at least when they're good and well-behaved, they're happy and cheerful. And those, you can know that uh, the little kids that you're observing, many of them will grow up to be grouchy and, and uh, some of them will be liars and some of them will be, you know, they'll grow up and you look at some older people around you and you see that their lives are a mess. Well, they were little kids at one point mm. and later on something happened to change them into a mess. And it's, that's where... That's what Jason is talking about. These are the, the things that war against your soul. They war against your personality, turn you from a cute little kid into a, a grouchy adult. <laughs> mm. And I feel like that's easier to grasp onto than the whole, like, well, seeing how the, because um, I'm going to butcher this, but um, I've heard something recently where a lot of, and it makes sense with, well, with social media and like phones and whatever else, um, people are more like into instant gratification. Like we're used to getting what we want when we want it, which is usually right away. And so it's hard for us to think about eternal things. Um, and those, that's a big phrase, eternal things, but basically what really matters, what's going to be around, uh, like at the end of time, like being with the Lord, a lot of people, I feel like I don't really think about heaven. A lot of my friends don't really think about heaven. I don't think at least we don't talk about it. And if we were all thinking about it, we'd probably be talking about it. But what we do talk about is like how our actions affect us here and now. And like, I feel like the here and now, um, 
detriment to what sin, like sin being detrimental to us here and now is something a lot of people will be able to connect with easier rather than the whole, well, uh, yeah, you're going to be burning in hell because of your sin. Like, it's like, that's true, but well, I might like, I don't know, I guess maybe some people have this maybe carelessness and like, because we're not really thinking about what that really means to be in an eternity away from God's suffering and what that looks like. Maybe we think, well, if we're going there anyway, we might as well just kind of enjoy life right now. And like, you know what I'm saying? Like, but we don't realize that even now, um, sin is like corrupting us, destroying us. And some people figure that out, but, um, after several years, but some people don't, they just turn into miserable old men and die. <laughs> so, uh, what passage was that in? Jason. First Peter two eleven. Okay. There's a interesting little, I think it's a cool little illustration of that. And, uh, you know, CS Lewis has his Chronicles of Narnia and, uh, one of, it's not the, it's not the, the, the book that everyone Note the line, the witch in the wardrobe. It's not that one. It's um, the magician's nephew, which is the first one in the series, and which is really, really mm-hmm. a fun book. And uh, sort of the the bad guy in that one, he's you know very anti God. Is kind of the way he he rolls and all that thing. And um, he puts himself in a position where you know Aslan, who represents uh, God in the story, more or less. Um, Aslan said he's he can no longer receive any gifts from me. There's only one gift. He, Because when Aslan would try to talk, like the guy couldn't even understand him anymore. He was putting himself in a position where he had reasoned himself into a spot where he couldn't hear the voice of God, even though everyone around could hear it plainly. And uh, and Aslan says, there's only one. He's, he's put himself in a position where he can't receive any gifts except for one. And all I can do is is give him a restful sleep. And that's, that's the only uh, thing that... Uh, I can give him now. So it was very interesting how to, and I think that's really applicable in terms of we make decisions that put ourselves in a position where we cannot enjoy what God wants us to enjoy. Hmm. Well, maybe we should talk about some uh, specifics. That's what I was going to ask the question is like, where do you feel like, or where do you see people uh, question why something is wrong? Why, why can't we just go out and enjoy this or whatever? Um, some of my friends, when it comes to, I know this is kind of like for a lot of our listeners are probably like are raised Christians and know that all the right things. And so this is going to be like one of those, well, obviously that's wrong. And I know why, but premarital sex, <laughs> um, there's some guys every once in a while, some of my friends from college, we, the, the topic would come up. I'm a virgin. Um, and, uh, my friends were not, and they weren't, and they're not shameful of that actually and like sometimes the conversation would come up not often but sometimes it would come up and uh um one they were like they said that they respected me because i had waited and they like thought that was kind of cool and uh and that they wish they would have waited but now that they already like have lost their you know virginity it's like well it doesn't matter anymore i can just do whatever Mm. i want with who i want and it's like and it doesn't matter like, how does it matter? Like, it doesn't affect me. Like, I can have sex with, like, this many girls, and it doesn't, like, literally it doesn't affect me. And so I don't see why it's wrong. Plus, and one of my friends will use, pull this card. He'll be like, dude, just look at the, like, if you actually read the Bible, um, in the Old Testament, like, people's purity, 
Like their lives sexually were all screwed up. Like if you look at all the kings and stuff. So like, I don't think God really cares about it as much as we do. <laughs> and I don't really see any like, like detriment to in my life right now from it. Um, in fact, it's fun, <laughs> you know? I mean, he's got that you break up, point that you, <laughs> I mean, I can see what he's saying about the Old Testament, but by the time you get to the New Testament and God speaks very plainly about it, <laughs> it becomes pretty clear that that's not, uh, not right and it's not good. <laughs> and I think gonna, even in the Old Testament, the it's not condoning it. It's just saying, these guys did this. No. <laughs> and it's, right. it's not great. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the, uh, most of those stories are get a ridiculous amount of baggage surrounding them. Like, mm. I mean, David's whole situation, King David, I mean, you know, it's like, like you look, you read the the gory details of him and his kids and all that stuff. It's like, you want to have a family like that? I mean, <laughs> that's not where I want to go. <laughs> so that, that's an interesting one because, you know, because it's so fun and because it's so enjoyable, why is it wrong then? And yeah. it's, it's after, I, or at least for me, it's after I've been married for a while <clears throat> and begin to see what the fullness of a relationship is that it's uh you know being married is more than just having sex although some people seem to think that it's your marriage is only good when you're having sex if you're not having sex then you're not having a good marriage type of thing but uh are those people you, single no not necessarily oh okay it's, you'll see yeah you're gonna see married couples who are looking to enhance their marriage and they uh, a lot of times they'll focus on the sexual side of it because that's where you get the most physical pleasure out of it. Mm-hmm. And what I've found is that uh, sex can become empty if there's no relationship behind it. If you have a relationship and you're looking to pursue after your spouses, uh, looking for their pleasure to enhance their pleasure because of your love towards them and because of your relationship, then the whole experience becomes more than physical. It becomes a lot richer and fuller. And it's, in fact, it's so, it's so much better to pursue the emotional, relational side of things along with the physical that once you really grasp the value of that, then the physical by itself is no longer even that much enjoyable anymore. So what I've come to realize is that the physical pleasure is not the height of what God created. It's a whole relational thing. It's being connected to another person where they trust you and you love them and you're looking for their benefit and being able to experience the emotional and the physical all at the same time is such a rich and a full experience. Then it becomes, now it's become kind of clear to me that if I'm going to focus just on the physical side of things and just go for the sex, which is you know, if you're going for premarital sex where you have that, you don't have that commitment or that love or whatever, where you're willing to really make a, a real relationship out of it. And it just becomes the physical side of things that you it's going to distort you. I mean, it's going to even, even like pornography and, and things like that. If you're focused or getting into pornography type of thing, it's, that is going to teach you and mold your personality so that you're always looking for that physical uh, high and and that ends up being distorted from what God uh, intended. What God says was good is a whole relationship where the physical becomes part of the relationship. It 
uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm struggling trying to put the words together of how to describe what it is to have a full, rich relationship uh, along right. with the physical Cause side. Cause, right, because I can tell you right now, my friends do not have that. So they don't, I feel like they don't know what they're missing. Right. And how to explain, and, and if you were to try to explain it to me years ago and say, this is what you're missing out, I would not have had the foggiest idea. Mm. I've not been able to grasp what you're talking about. I, I, can, I can understand it now and, and give you a little bit of a sense, uh, having learned a few things through the years and realizing that, you know, in my younger years, uh, whenever it came time for, and this gets really personal, I can't believe I'm talking about this. <laughs> <Whenever>. <laughs> Whenever, you know, uh, you know, when I was younger, it was like I was looking for my own pleasure and my own uh, enjoyment. And you never get enough. You always, whenever you get done getting as much pleasure as you can get, it, it, you get a sense that there's, there's got to be more. And I suppose that's why married couples are always searching for more. Uh, so the, my focus on my enjoyment on the physical side had to be broken. I had to change to putting the focus on my wife and giving her as much enjoyment, which required more than physical. She requires the emotional and the relational type of thing. And the physical only becomes part of it. And changing that focus, or changing my focus to that full relationship thing uh, enriches it, enriches the whole experience and your, I don't know, because it's not just about sex anymore. Sex is just kind of a part of it. Sometimes you'll, there, there are some, uh, marriage books out there that talk about, uh, that, that, uh, interview older couples. <clears throat> I mean, you're talking couples that you're, you're thinking that, that they're way past ever doing anything sexual. I mean, that's just almost gross to even think about. But they, when they talk about their own relationship, they say it's better now than what it ever was when we were younger. And I think it's probably because they found the full relational side of it and they're not just involved in the physical side of things. It's, uh, it, <laughs> it's hard to understand when you're on the other side, but it's, it really is true that when you've learned to uh, do the full relational side of it. It's, it's far better than what you ever had before. I'll try to agree with that without repeating everything. Um, the, cause I, I, what Caleb just explained is very correct. And, um, I heard it on a, and just to the parts of that resonated with the most of me is like when he said, you know, sex can become empty. Uh, and, and I think that's, surprisingly true um and i think it's part of the way that god has wired men and women is that you know the that emptiness it, it, for a man to like move past that he has to move into the more emotional intimacy and things like that which is dif more difficult for men right. but it, it helps them to do that and then <laughs> and it's almost like the um, the physical intimacy is almost a, a thermometer or a, a meter. Like, are you getting the emotional part right? Are you moving forward in the emotional part? And if you yeah. are, then the physical part yeah. comes together. Um, 
And uh, so that was one thing that Caleb said that I really agreed with. And another one, I was listening to a podcast a little while ago and uh, the guy that, and he said something that really resonated with me and um, was a lot of guys find that they're getting the most physical satisfaction when their wife is getting the most physical satisfaction. Like it's almost like the guy is, um, you know, I think sex can become empty when the guy is focused on himself and his, his partner is not getting, I mean, just kind of doing the wifely duties or whatever, you know, how it goes, how it can go. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, and that's, that's really actually empty over time, but to when, yeah, when yep. the wife is with the husband and she's enjoying it. And there's something, I think it's, I don't think it works necessarily both ways, but maybe it does, that the guy is going to be, get, be much more satisfied with the experience when his wife is satisfied with the experience. And that's only going to happen when the, over the long period of time, when the emotional is there as well. So uh, that, yeah, uh, totally true. So in a yeah. So when you're doing, you know, lots of partners, you are not in a position to really use physical intimacy the way that God designed it. And I think that's why it's a sin because he said, this is super powerful and it's super useful, but it's used to come with this whole package of um, like a, a, a whole intimacy. Um, and if you're just using it for the physical side, we talked about in a previous podcast that the statistics show that if it, having lots of partners, generally men are actually hurting and damaging women uh, th- through that. You know, that's what's kind of what yeah. the numbers show out. So, I mean, so those are uh, all the ways that I agreed with Caleb on that and hopefully and I, added a little bit more I just wanna, thoughts there. <clears throat> I just want to add one little bit. You know, not only are they damaging other women, but they actually damage themselves in that they become, uh, their personality becomes, their soul becomes twisted to where it's just focused on the physical. And then if you try to explain to them that they need to involve the emotional, the physical gets in the way and they can't, uh, you know, they can't uh, develop the emotional side. I don't know. I don't know how to really explain it. That's a really good point. I think pornography tunes you that, that, I mean, it's almost, it's when you see the, you know, what what the storyline there is always going to be like, uh, that the wife is responding pure, or the the woman, not the wife, (laughs) the the woman is responding purely to physical stimulants. Right. And IRL, there's a whole package there. So it's actually programming your brain to a lie. And that'll come back and, bite you if you're trying to have a good marriage it does it makes it really difficult if you can't develop the emotional side with your wife she's going to end up feeling unfulfilled and used and uh and and probably because she is she's yeah she's correct yeah (laughs) (laughs) again i don't know i heard um i mean you just imagine if you get all bent up and twisted on the on the physical side where you're just pursuing after that and then you're trying to have a marriage We've seen, every one of us has seen and even experienced to some degree the pain of a marriage being torn apart. Mm. Uh, they're not able to work things out and so forth. And, and God's looking at it and he says, well, here's one of the root causes is this twist uh, of personality, twist of this, this destruction of the soul with regards to that uh, sexual side of things. That's, that's one area. 
and that's extremely you know because the because the wife ends up feeling used and the husband's not satisfied so he's angry at you know whatever you know it's uh when you see that the pain and the damage of marriage you begin to realize why it's so wrong to have that twisted understanding of what is good in uh that physical side of things and so you know you know what i mean mm-hmm. i heard uh, one guy describe it as like sex is something dogs do on the side of the road and like um i don't know the other half but i just that's <laughs> you might want to get that other half that might be important <laughs> well you guys have been like talking about the other half that's, that's like true. that's Good the point. real Good thing point. and like i don't know if what what do you want more do you want like this closeness, this intimacy, the like all the benefits of this thing, or do you just want to be like two dogs who like I don't know, don't love you, don't I mean they're not, they don't have souls or anything like that. But like, anyway, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like it's worthless, it's meaningless, it's not. It's there's an interesting movie. Know, it, you know, I hear what you're saying. Like there's a movie out there. Uh, I think it's called My Dog Marley or something along those lines. Then there's no oh my. <laughs> But it's uh, it's about a guy, and he's got this colleague that that works with him, and and they're uh, they're both journalists or whatever. But their their lives take two different paths. His his colleague decides to go chasing after women, and he decides to develop his family life. And it, you know, how the dog can often become the center of the family. That's why it's called my dog Marley. So it's, but mm-hmm. he he gets you get kind of towards the end of the movie, and this guy's life has become so fulfilled by being focused in his family and, and developing that the family side of things. He bumps into his buddy, uh, you know, years down the road and his buddy is still chasing after women. And the movie accurately portrays that this guy chasing after women has such an empty life. It's just one woman to the next woman. And there's the, the pleasure that he gets has uh, no real meaning anymore. And the guy, uh, the main character of the movie, he's he's looking at his life and just seeing the rich fulfillment of having a happy family and all the rest of that, and and realizes that he made the right choice. That that movie gives a really interesting portrayal of what it is to have a real solid uh, relationship versus just bouncing from woman to woman. Can you guys think of anything that like might sound? might look like actually good, like even beneficial, but is really like really not. I'm trying to think of things that. I don't know if it's um, necessary to go through every little specific detail because, and because uh, I, you know, what we're doing is we're talking about this one particular sin and it's difficult mm-hmm. to tell when you, when you're first starting out in life, it's difficult to tell why is that so bad. Later, as you get on, you realize, oh, God was right after all. That really was bad to go chasing after, you know, the, to go chasing after sexual things is really is a bad idea. It's, and I think that's probably going to be typical for a lot of things that God says is wrong. We look at it first and we're like, I don't understand why that's bad. But if you, uh, as you get farther into it, you'll be able to find out that, yeah, God was right. It really was bad. And there's things like getting drunk. You know, he says not to get drunk. Uh, drinking. Uh, trying to think of other things i mean there's all kinds of things that we can look at that are damaging to us physically and emotionally that we it initially yeah, it well, seems like a lot of fun mm-hmm. or sometimes well, gonna, oh go ahead go ahead okay sometimes we'll think we have a right to be wrong uh 
for example, somebody does offends us, we feel like we have a right to have some kind of revenge or to hold bitterness against them or so forth. And like they've earned our uh, displeasure against them. And, but again, we've seen times where people don't let go of their bitterness and they just end up being a really bitter person. Or sometimes, you know, we feel like it's going to be beneficial for us to tell a lie because it might get us out of trouble. Well, you get into the habit of telling lies and pretty soon you can't stop telling lies. It, it becomes a, uh, it becomes just such a, a twist of their personality that you just end up being a liar all the time. And that's, <laughs> that's clearly not good. <laughs> the lying one, I mean, well, it's like the, the hardest person to tell the truth to is yourself. And, uh, try to move that way. I mean, it's almost like we're all uh, kind of bent out of shape about that. And it's more just trying to lean into being fixed so that you can have integrity as a person. And when I say integrity, I don't mean like you, so you have a good reputation. I mean, integrity, like you are a single person inside and out. You don't have a a self duplicity going on. And I think that's really hard. Yeah. Um, Well, um, Caleb, about the the command, like, it makes me think, okay, so this is where maybe obedience would come up then. Because I can hear something like, uh, since I'm analytical, um, I like to, and I think we made a definitive point at the beginning, um, but I like to analyze, like, why things work the way they work. And usually when I have the why, um, I'm more confident or competent to carry out, or I should be, <laughs> I should be more competent and confident to carry out, you know, doing what's right and to abstain from what's wrong. Um, in the areas where I am able to do that, that's, it works best for me, but I've found not everybody, big surprise, not everybody's like that. And, and, and sometimes it's like some people will accuse me or not accuse me. Um, when I'm asking the why question, there are some people who, um, who generally are satisfied with, well, if the Lord says it, that's a good enough reason for me. And they stand and they're proud of that. And it's like, and man, they should be proud of that. Um, but I think um, when I get that response in a conversation, because, you know, in conversation, I like to ask people why they do what they do and why they think this is that way or why the Lord set it up that way. And I, and I don't mean to like doubt what the Lord is doing. I just want to explore it because I know there's a lot in there. But I think that can be misunderstood in that, well, I'm trying to, and this is what we defined earlier, um, to justify not doing what's right. Like I'm trying to, I'm going to try to reason my way out of doing it um, or, you know, reason my way out of doing what's right. And that's not, um, I guess I do try to do that at times, but that's generally not what I try to do. But some people don't think that way. And I think they just, if the Lord says it, that's good enough because maybe we don't have the time or the energy to try to figure out why it's wrong. And kind of like you're saying with like this whole, like the whole sex, I mean, I'm, I'm single you know, like an unmarried anniversary. So like a lot of the stuff that you're describing, I can kind of empathize, like kind of imagine how that would be, how that sounds great, but I don't know. And so mm-hmm. there's a lot of things where, like Caleb, you said, there's things you just don't understand why that's right. Yep. But yep. you know that you can, you can rest and have confidence that there's a really good reason. And sometimes, a lot of times, for some people more often than not, where we're not going to know the why. And maybe that's because we don't have capacity to know the why, or maybe that's just, you know, I don't know, just what the Lord has done. And so we have to, you know, just walk in obedience 
that feels weird for me to say and just you know have you know faith in that he really does want the best for me and so if this command is there i i need to follow it because that's what's going to be like truly beneficial for me does that all make sense yeah and i'm glad you said that because that's that's really where i wanted to land up at i didn't want to go through every little sin and explain why it's wrong so now you know it's wrong so now that you're going to do what's right because you realize what's wrong that's that's where you are following the dictates of your own heart. You know, once I see it's wrong, then I'll not do it anymore. You know, I mean, we, mm. we need to be following God and obeying God. If he says it's wrong, he's gracious enough to uh, oftentimes help us understand why it's wrong. But ultimately, we just yeah. want to be obeying the Lord. And I just want to convey that it's not uh, random commands that he makes. This is, he's actually evaluated the situation and said, you know, this to go this direction is wrong. It's, it's bad, damaging, it's evil. And sometimes, like you said, we, we just, we have to trust him because we don't know and maybe don't have the capacity to know why. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and, and another thing that pops into my head too is kind of on the other side of that. Well, it's possible maybe to know not know why and we're just in this habit of like let's just say blind obedience where we're just okay we we take the commands at face value and we follow them the best we can but i feel like like some like analysis is good because isn't it possible to where um you like you you're not thinking through god's word you know you're just like taking it at face value and then following it and calling that obedience and you might actually be like missing out in some sense that's kind of vague but you kind of get what i'm saying like it's it seems like there um this might not be quite right for everybody but it it seems like especially if you grow up in a christian home right and you're taught like this is this is right and this is wrong and that's naughty and you should feel guilty if you do that and it feels like as you mature you need to graduate out of that and into a place where you're you're obeying not out of guilt or shame or just this really weird vague thing that things are arbitrary or wrong but like that you're actually moving into a faith where you're believing what god says and even the parts that you don't understand you're believing him right so there's it's almost a transition from uh a guilt and shame oriented pattern of behavior into a faith and belief and trust uh way of looking at it and and the psalmist says that he meditates on God's law day and night and he considers it and he thinks about it. And now that doesn't mean he figures it out, but I think that's worth throwing out there too. Like I really enjoy figuring like if I come to if I come to one a command God has given me in the scriptures, if I come to it with the view of this is this is really important. I need to, you know, obey the Lord, I need to honor him. And it's because, I, and the reason I need to do that is because I know that he wants what's best for me. Maybe that's even yeah. a selfish motive that I'm doing it out of like, well, I know it's best for me. So for that sake, I'll do it. But anyway, if I come to it with like honoring him and this mind of like, I want to understand it, not to try to discredit it or whatever, but just to see like what, what all is happening here? Like, Why did he put that there? I'm going to obey it. And why does it work that way? I've like found some really cool stuff thinking that way. And yeah. not everybody thinks that way, but it, I feel like there's a lot of people who could be thinking that way and it could be beneficial to them. Like they could find a lot of richness there and like a lot of joy yeah. actually um, that you might miss out on if you just, you know, I don't know, 
Okay, so fine. let's put type thing. another little angle to this. Uh, there's, you know, there's the moral rights and wrongs and so forth that you, things that you got to do in it because if you, I mean, the, where the, the wrongs are damaging, but there's also the aspect too that God is our creator, right? Like he's made all things, so he has the right to dictate what we do or don't do. And sometimes he gives us a command to do something and it's it's not a moral issue. Uh, I think of like the the mm. Jewish command back in the day that they were supposed to keep the Sabbath. Well, it, it's not morally wrong to work on any given. In fact, we're supposed to work. But it would have been wrong for the Jews to work on the Sabbath because they would be in disobedience to God. And the point being, he had the right to make that command. He has the right to say, I want you to do this, that, or the other thing. He commanded them to bring sacrifices and so forth. And uh, God is God, and we have the obligation to obey him. And furthermore, he will hold us accountable. One day we will answer for our actions, and we'll have to explain, uh, like there will be Jews who will have to explain why they didn't keep the Sabbath. Uh, because it, So there's that aspect of it too, that we are being created creatures. We are under obligation to obey God and to... And to know that we will be held accountable one day, we will answer to him for all that we do, and that that encompasses that obligation encompasses moral things and things that aren't moral. I mean, just every command of God, we you need to obey. <laughs> it's it's wrong not to obey him because he made us. If I, uh, for example, if I made a uh, a car and that car didn't do what I wanted it to do. Uh, is, that's not right. I make the car. The car is supposed to do what I want it to do. It's it's like an AI to, car, right? If you make an AI car and you like do this and it's like, no, I'm gonna do my own thing. I mean, that car is supposed to go where I want it to go, and it's supposed to stop when I want right. it to stop. You know, if you're driving your Tesla, that thing has gotta go where you want it to go because it's yours. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Caleb, I think I, that, I think I follow the thought. Um, I mean, I. And I don't see a super strong distinction between those two areas. I mean, the Sabbath one that you uh, said, I, I mean, I can see that maybe that's not necessarily a moral thing, but it's still like, this is really healthy and beneficial and you're actually damaging yourself if you don't build rest into your routines and downtime because cause you, you need it, you know? So, I, I mean, do you, do you think that... It, 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 so... But I mean, in a sense, he's, he's, he's commanding us towards a good rather than just a, okay, you all put, live in a padded room and make sure you don't hurt yourself or each other. I mean, that's not what, <laughs> that, would, that doesn't sound like an awesome existence. He's calling us to more than that. And some of these things might be, that aren't moral, might be that. I don't know, do you, am, I, am I following you and am I augmenting you or am I sort of pushing back on you? No, I think you're making a good point. Uh, and I think for me, what I what I'm trying to pull out is that there is a uh, we it's a we have an obligation to obey God, uh, even if He gives us a command where it's where there uh, even if He gives a command that isn't even over a moral issue, like there's it's wrong to disobey Him. Can, can you think of examples like that would apply to a, a believer where it's not necessarily a moral issue, but it is a matter of obedience? This could get dicey. Yeah, because there's, 
Yeah, it really could because there's, we have, in these days, we have really pushed back against the commands that God has put out there. But uh, there, and a lot of them would have to do with the church and what, or that, that come to mind would be things that have, have to do with the church. Like uh, he's, he's got that command to uh, do this in remembrance of me and to do it uh, often. Well, we've, we've kind of steered the other direction where we don't do it very often, typically in our churches. Uh, there's also the commands of uh, whether or not a woman should teach in a church and so forth. I mean, I don't know if you would call that the moral thing, but it seems to be, I mean, it's, it's definitely a command and it's really hard to explain it away, but we do, uh, you know, things like that. Nice. That, yeah, you know, no, I think those are good before. examples. I agree with you that you could, yeah, it, it, those don't feel like they qualify as moral issues. And uh, I think the Sabbath example that you gave then is a good illustration of that. And I, I would still, uh, f- I don't know, it's... I mean, you can think, how would you, how would you rate then uh, another one like uh, where God commanded Abraham to go sacrifice Isaac up on the altar? Would that be like a moral issue or is that an obedience thing or how would you... Mm, yeah. You know, a specific uh, command. Yeah, that's a really outlying data point, right? <laughs> it might be hard to right. wrestle with that one. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it's a special revelation from God to do something that God says elsewhere that he hates, and then you know that he's going to stop it, and yet Abraham has the promise that he's going to, he, he in faith, he thinks Isaac's, he thinks God will raise him from the dead when he kills him. It's like, okay, there's a lot going on there. Let's see. I'd have to chew on that one because it feels like it's almost like um, uh, it, it's it's a what is it? It's I mean that's it's called in the scripture a, a testing of Abraham's faith, isn't it? Is that a testing or approving yeah. of his yeah. faith? And in a sense, it's calling Abraham toward a greater good, which I think all of those things that you talked about, like having rest built into your schedules and meeting regularly with believers and remembering the Lord and what he did for you often, he's calling us and commanding us to a good thing that is really, it's almost like your parent, your, your mom is saying, you got to come here and you got to eat those vegetables, man. And, you know, you throw those vegetables in the garbage. garbage. That's not necessarily a moral thing, but... I, mom is saying, I am ordering you to eat those vegetables. <laughs> and I, I, I think those all sort of fit in that. That's the way I think of them anyway, if that makes sense. Let me put another one out to you. In uh, Romans 14, he talks about uh, people in their way that they follow the Lord. And he says, there's some people that follow the Lord, the one who believes, the one who believes or for one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let him who eats despise not him who does not eat, mm. and let him who does not eat judge him who eats. So there you got to, what food should I eat or not? And what he says is that, uh, who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him to stand. And then he goes on and talks about days, like some people observe a day, some people do not, some observe it to the Lord, some do not observe it before God. Some who eat, they give thanks. Some who do not eat, to God, he gives thanks. Like they, they're living unto God. And it seems like these issues are like non-moral issues. And one will, sure. one will eat the food, one will not. One will observe the day, one will not. But they're doing it unto the Lord. And that's what really matters is that obedience to the Lord type of thing. And so that would be another angle on that. 
uh, and I can tell I mean, as you're, as you're saying that and I'm thinking about it, I think the bigger question or like, like what we're maybe dancing around is, um, I don't want people to listen to what you are saying. And uh, it was almost like when, you know, the, the car analogy could be construed in such a way that God is sort of arbitrary and a little bit maybe capricious in what he commands us to do. And, and I don't think that's what you're saying, but I just don't want it to be construed that way that he's just like, Oh, I want sure, you to right. do a hundred pushups until you puke and, and do it. Cause I'm God and I made you and that's what I want you to do right now. And it's like, well, that's, I mean, and I think some people look at God that way, that he's just arbitrary and capricious in what he commands us to do. And True. he's holding us by, you know, strings over a fire pit, just waiting for us to mess up. And he's going to be all super mad at us when we do mess up. And, and it's like, oh, we're kind of messing up the character of God here. But when we move into the space where uh, I, I think everything that he's telling us to do is is good. And in the Romans 14, like what's... Even uh, the uh, you know I think it's interesting in context there or helpful in context that he does say there's there's a weaker brother and a stronger brother here, and you get the idea that Paul would eat what he wants, <laughs> you know, and uh, but he doesn't want the younger brother to do things that violate his conscience because that would lead him into a spot where he might do other things that violate his conscience, and so he needs to it's it's better for that weaker brother to live in a way that keeps his conscious conscience pure, even if his conscience isn't quite perfectly calibrated yet. Uh, whereas the stronger brother can go ahead and, and do whatever. And so, I mean, all of that's those commands. I, um, they don't seem arbitrary and they're not moral, but he's setting up the framework to move us to good. Does that make sense? And I appreciate yeah. you bringing it up because that's a valid point to mention that, uh, God is not just arbitrarily making commands. Uh, I think the Lord, I find it interesting that the Lord, when he's teaching his disciples to pray, he says, I want you, you know, the, the ideal title for God for you is to say our father and to look at God as your father. And because a father always wants his kids to have a life that's better than what he, you know, have the best possible life. Yes. Nice. And, so, and I think that's what God is really at is that he actually loves and he cares for us and he wants us to have a good life. And so his commands are all directed towards that end that you would have the richest and fullest life possible. And I think cool. there's a verse that, that mentions that. Oh, wait, no. Isn't there, isn't there a passage that talks about uh, fathers give their commands as whatever pleases them? Uh, he, uh, Hebrews. What? Let me find that one. That's a good, I like that one. Hebrews 12, I think. Uh, besides this, is this the one you're thinking of? Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Uh, shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live for they, the physical fathers disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. I think that's the one you're thinking yep. of. Yep. That's it. And it's talking about discipline, but it's, it's driving home the point that God is doing it for our benefit, for our good. And it points out the important, I mean, you got enough listeners out there that the idea of father may be construed by your earthly father who is falling, fall short of what's going on. And, and this scripture, Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse eight, uh, is trying to distinguish like, look, earthly fathers, they mess it up, man. 
ideally they're trying to do what's right as seems best to them for you, but they're hosing it up. But in contrast, your heavenly father disciplines us always for your good to the end that you may share in his holiness. Because holiness is actually good and it's beautiful. Well, it might yeah. be hard for us to That's see that from this angle, but it really is. a whole conversation probably, yeah, to make it sure is. that we see that. It is a whole the, the, conversation. Uh, that we may share his holiness is like, should be super appealing when we're thinking about it rightly, but that maybe is a hard sell sometimes. It's definitely a hard sell. Another conversation. But yeah. Yeah, another conversation. Add it to the list. You can, uh, just right, one y'all. little comment on it is that you'll see the psalmist write about the Lord rejoicing in the Lord and the beauty of holiness. Beauty and of holiness. that just kind of gives you a hint oh, yes. of, yeah. This, like, I don't know what he's talking about, but I understand it sounds really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think we should wrap it up there. That sounds like we came to a good point. Um, yeah. Enough said, I guess. Um, thank you all for listening, and uh, we will see you next week. Yeah.